the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Avi Meyer is editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. If you want to read it, go to jpost.com. Good morning, Avi from Israel. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me, Hugh. Uh, First, my condolences to you and to everyone in your family, among your friends, and throughout the state of Israel. I'm stunned this morning. The death toll has gone up to 1,200. The wounded are at 4,000. The horror just keeps growing. And I've I've covered... uh, massacres and terrorism since I've been on the air in 1990. I've never had this kind of reaction because it was a it was an army of monsters that marched into Israel. I had no idea of the depth of depravity in Gaza. Do you think did Israel know how deep the evil was? I mean, look, it's certainly not news to us that Hamas is a genocidal, murderous terrorist organization that will stop at nothing to murder Jews. But what we saw on display on Saturday was unlike anything we'd ever witnessed before. This was an ISIS-like organization on display, uh, beheading babies, raping women, um, executing the elderly in the street, kidnapping entire families that are currently being held in the Gaza Strip. Uh, the carnage is is unthinkable. And the fact that we've reached 1,200 people, um, and it may even climb further, is just an indication of how brutal, how barbaric this organization is in its quest to destroy as many Jewish lives as possible. So what is the resolve in Israel vis-a-vis Hamas? And by the way, I think of Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran as all one monster with three heads. And I'm not sure that the president spoke clearly yesterday because he didn't name Iran or Hezbollah. He just named Hamas. What is the level of resolve to deal with at least Hamas and maybe the other two right now? Well, look, the state of Israel is strong. We are a country in shock and a country in mourning, but we will rally and we will respond. Um, At the moment, the task is twofold. First, to recover, restore those uh, those hostages, bring them home. Um, again, they include the elderly men, women, and children, entire families, mothers, and their and their children. Uh, bring them all home as safely and as quickly as possible. Um, while at the same time dealing Hamas a blow, it will never forget. Um, there are calls in Israel to cause the Hamas leadership to collapse, to basically bring them down and restore the leadership of that territory to either Palestinian Authority or another leadership that will arise. Um, up until now, the sense in Israel has been that the devil we know, meaning Hamas, is better than the devil we don't know, right? Because we don't know what might arise in Gaza after Hamas is brought down. That is no longer the consensus in Israel. There are many who feel that no matter what happens after, there's nothing that could possibly be worse than the barbarism that we saw on display on Saturday, and Hamas must be brought down. 
No, I, I don't know how you get worse. As you said, ISIS has always sort of defined the bottom, and now Hamas has defined. Uh, we fell off the floor with Hamas and the decapitation of babies and the execution of elderly and the parading of hostages. It's just a genocidal group. Do you believe that war is imminent on the northern front? Because it's gone from a shell here and a shell there to a couple of missiles to more missiles. What do you think, Avi? Well, there there was an incident earlier today um, in which a uh, rocket propelled uh, launch, actually a, a Saturday, an anti-tank missile was launched at a uh, an Israeli vehicle on the Israeli side of the border. Uh, Hezbollah has claimed responsibility for that incident. Um, that has the potential for causing a dramatic escalation on the north. That would be a cataclysmic event. You have to understand that Hezbollah uh, is not Hamas. Uh, they are essentially an army within Lebanon. They have 150,000, not rockets, but rather missiles, many of them guided missiles that could hit very sensitive infrastructure in the depth of Israel. Um, of course, it is an Iranian terror proxy. It's been funded by Iran all these years, as, of course, has Hamas as well. Um, so that is something that many Israelis would like to avoid because Israel could indeed be in extremely deep peril if that were to happen. Um, and there are many Israelis who are extremely grateful to the American people for having sent um, an aircraft carrier group to the eastern Mediterranean to show strength, to show um, a sense of deterrence and prevent Iran and its proxy Hezbollah from getting involved in this conflict at this time. Now, Dr. Oren is on this show weekly, and he put out yesterday thanking President Biden a tweet saying that was great. I am not a fan of President Biden not naming Hezbollah, because I don't know if you can deter people if you don't name Iran and Hezbollah. So that's my critique. It's not yours. Let me ask you, Avi, I expected to wake up to news of a unity government. Why isn't that in place yet? Well, many Israelis are asking the same question, um, as did we in our editorial just this morning. Um, we are hopeful that a unity government will arise. It is long overdue. Um, this is something that should have happened that day on Saturday. There's no reason it should be delayed up until now. It appears as though certain members of Prime Minister Netanyahu's current coalition are putting up all sorts of obstacles. Um, that is unacceptable, completely irresponsible at this time. Um, we know that the prime minister met with the, the head of the National Unity Party, Benny Gantz, this morning. Um, there are reports that they agreed to enter into a unity government. We certainly hope that will happen sooner rather than later. Israel needs to be united at this moment. We cannot afford to be disunited. Is it your understanding? I know Gantz has got to come in. He used to lead the IDF and he, he was former vice premier. He's very, very serious man. I know he doesn't get along with Netanyahu, but they're going to put that aside. What about Lieberman and what about Lapid? Do you expect them both to enter into a war cabinet of the sort that Churchill put together in World War II? I certainly hope they do. Um, I think that is the right thing for them to do. It's the right thing for the country, especially after such a lengthy period of disunity in this country, um, which was essentially torn apart by uh, the debate surrounding the government's judicial reform. This is a moment for unreserved unqualified unity. And I certainly hope that all Zionist parties, all those who are part of the Zionist mainstream in Israel, will join that national unity government and will enable us to move forward in a sign of strength and, and unity. I'm talking with Avi Myers, editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. Avi, uh, I listened to a podcast, and Dan Sinor will be on later with Brett Stevens, who held your job a long time ago. And Brett's back in America and is safe from the carnage. How do you run a news organization in a country in shock? Uh, 9-11 was a big blow, but we're a much bigger country with many more resources. And it was pretty far away from me in California, though I felt it. 
Israel, no one is very far away. I don't even know if you lost members of your family, but but 1,200 people. How do you run a news organization in the middle of this? Look, as you said, uh, 9-11 was a traumatic event. I remember it. I was a high school senior at the time in the D.C. area. I remember the fog of confusion and chaos. Um, That is very much what Israelis are feeling today, but orders of magnitude greater. Um, As you said, Israel is not a large country. It's a very small country of under 10 million people. 1,200 dead is an an unimaginable loss to this country. There's not a single family that hasn't been affected in some way. I know quite a few people whose families have lost members, children, grandchildren, cousins, uh, siblings, and so on. Um, We have had several members of our team either go on reserve uh, or have several of their children go on reserve duty. Um, So we are a diminished news reporting organization at the moment. I can also say that we've been under cyber attacks since Saturday morning. There have been concerted efforts to bring our website down. They've actually succeeded at various points. Um, There are clearly those who don't want the truth from Israel to get out to the world. We, of course, will not let that deter us. We're active on all social media channels. No matter whether our website is up or down, we'll do whatever we can to get that information out there. We have at times had to go down to uh, the bomb shelter in our building, um, which disrupted our activity only briefly. Um, I put up a photo uh, just the other day of myself editing the next day's paper from inside our bomb shelter. We're going to keep putting out a paper. We're going to keep getting the information out there. That is our duty to our readership and, quite frankly, our responsibility to Israel and to the world. I knew you were under cyber attack because I've been trying to go to jpost.com and I get through maybe 50 percent of the time. Ditto with Times of Israel, because obviously the evil people in Iran do not want the truth to come out. I think they may have miscalculated badly in what they thought they were doing, Avi. Do you agree with me about that? Do you think they had any idea how the world would recoil from this savagery? Well, look, I think Israel at the moment is uh, benefiting, I would say, in some ways from the, the, the world's sympathy. I think people have seen the savagery on display Um, They see the evil that Israel is confronting. The question will be, however, whether that sympathy will be maintained in the days and weeks ahead as Israel does what it must to deal Hamas a blow it will never forget. Um, In the past, this is exactly what has happened. Israel gets some sympathy at the beginning after there's been a horrific wave of terror attacks or violence. But as Israel continues to do what it must to engage militarily against Hamas and other terrorist targets, um, there have been voices of opposition and those who've caused called on Israel to cease and desist. We're hopeful that that won't happen this time, that this will be a game-changing moment, that Israel will be given the diplomatic leeway it needs to do what it must. And quite frankly, even if Israel doesn't get that leeway, Israel will do what it must, because that is its responsibility to its citizenry. Um, That is its responsibility not only to its own citizens, but to the Jewish people, and quite frankly, to the Western world. We are at the forefront of a battle of civilizations. That's what Israel is, that's what Israel has always been. And if we don't fight back, no one will. We are at the front of this battle, and we will do whatever we can to ensure that Western values, Judeo-Christian values are maintained in this country and around the world. Avi, I know that the vast majority of Americans agree with that and support that. Thank you for joining me. Please keep coming back every week and talking to us. And and my congratulations on just staying up and getting the, the news out, because the West wants to know, and I just don't trust Western legacy media. They don't really understand what's going on. I didn't understand what was going on until actually confronted with it. Avi Meyer, editor of the Jerusalem Post. Thank you, Avi. Uh, I appreciate your time today. I must tell you, uh, I'm amazed by the ability of journalists to operate in this situation, especially Israeli journalists. 
1,200 people in Israel, is, 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 it, it's as though 40,000 people had been executed in the United States. And would we be able to find reporters untouched by it? Maybe, because we've got a huge number of people. I don't know how Israel does it. And God bless them. We're going to work with the American Alliance or the Alliance of Christians and Jews fairly shortly. I'll tell you about that to bring aid and comfort to Israel. Uh, don't go anywhere on that. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Last week, I was in the Beltway. I'm going back on Friday and I'm going down to New York tonight. There was waiting for me a book called The Genius of Israel, The Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent World. It publishes on November 7th, and I got the pre-publication copy, and I said, well, I'll definitely have Dan Sinor on when it's pub date, and then, of course, the massacre occurred on Saturday. So I reached out to Dan. I also discovered he has an amazing podcast called Call Me Back. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining me on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Good morning, Hugh. Thanks for uh, all the time and attention you're, you've been giving to this issue and to Israel right now. Well, I found the Call Me Back. I have not listened to the latest one on Hamas. I will be listening it on the plane on the way down to New York this morning from up north. Uh, give me your sense of of what the Jewish community in America is feeling, because I've been saying today, 1,200, uh, the depth of evil in Gaza, I had no idea. It's like getting a glimpse into Mordor. We've we're we're used to 9-11. We understand that dozens of people can kill thousands of people. But I, I don't think I ever grasped that there were thousands of monsters in Gaza. Yeah. Well, I would say what makes this so unprecedented, and, and as an American Jew and as someone who has family in Israel, my mother lives in Jerusalem. I have two sisters uh, in Israel. I have three nephews and three nieces. Two of my nephews have been have been called up in the reserves. I have a lot of friends in Israel, both that I wrote about in my last book and that I wrote a lot about in this in this next book that's coming out. Um, I will say I uh, I'm I I never think I will be stunned by military conflict in the Middle East and specifically in Israel. I am stunned by this, and what I'm stunned by is are two things. One of which you cited, which is the sheer scale of it. Right. So if you think one thousand twelve hundred dead Israelis. Is the United States population is 40 times the size of Israel's. So just think about that for a moment. You're talking about the equivalent of 10, 12, 14, 9-11s. The equivalent of 10, 12, or 14, 9-11s in one weekend in Israel. That That's what it's like. Now, imagine if that happened in the United States. But at the same time that that was happening, we knew that terrorists were still operating in the country, which is what was happening those first few days in Israel, which is in about 20 communities. The terrorists were still going door-to-door, house to house, neighborhood to neighborhood, going to these kibbutzes, slaughtering people. And then on top of that, we knew that the terrorists were also taking a large number of innocent people. When I say innocent, I mean civilians. When I say civilians, I mean grandmothers in their 80s with Alzheimer's. I mean children, babies, women, and taking them, in some cases raping them, and then taking them over the border and spreading them throughout Gaza uh, to be held hostage. The scale of it, is shocking, but it's not just the scale that has been shocking. It's the glee, Hugh. It's the glee. You look at those videos that are flying around social media that the Hamas terrorists are filming themselves and posting on social media. They are there's some sort of a systematic campaign to disseminate this footage of them celebrating, enjoying, having fun, bullying, taunting. That is. Um, yeah, I, I just can't get it. It's 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 so utterly 
shocking and depressing. And, and on the one hand, it makes you as as a Jew for me who lives abroad, it makes me feel as Brett Stevens said on my podcast, uh, the last the episode that posted yesterday, Brett Stevens from the New York Times, it's it's a sense, a combination of fury and helplessness. Now, you know, the helplessness only goes so or will only extend so far because Israel, thank God the Jewish people have a state and a military. And even if these horrible things could be done to them, the way similar things were done in the 1930s in Europe, uh, Israel, there's a Jewish state that can respond. Dan, I the modern term is depraved. It's depraved. The theological term for a Christian like me is satanic. But the ancient term is they worship Moloch. They sacrifice children to a a God that I don't understand. It's got nothing to do with every Muslim I've ever known. And I've known quite a few Muslim. I don't know who these people are. But how does Hamas manufacture thousands of them? There are 15 dead 15,000 dead terrorists. And please, I, I, I appeal to my colleagues in the business, don't call them militants. Don't call them fighters. They are terrorists. Fighters, are, fighters, yeah. fighters. I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. I I, I, yeah. I appeal to Trey Inks, who's doing a good job. I know you're tired. Stop calling them fighters. They're murdering savages. But there are 1,200, 1,500 bodies of dead terrorists. They must have had 2,500 or 3,000 people come in. How do they... A, how do they hide that? And B, how do they make them? So two questions. The second question is harder to answer. and It's going to take time. We don't know. Look, Israel historically uh, has the one of the most robust accountability systems after some a security breakdown or a military confrontation. So after the Yom Kippur War in 1973, it effectively ended not only Golda Meir's political career, but but the entire an entire generation of the Labor Party of the left. Uh, suffered as a result of that because of a, a detailed uh, inquiry into what actually happened. After the 2006 Lebanon war, Ehud Omer's political career ended. Generals, intelligence leaders, their careers ended. There was a robust, I mean, the, the, the degree to which the Israelis invest in robust investigation of what went wrong is extraordinary. And I think the same thing will happen here. There was an intelligence and, and, and defense breakdown. And, um, but this, but they can't figure it out now, obviously, because all these people are busy trying to defend the country. But to your first question, I, I, I've been wrestling with this, Hugh. It's it's like it's so shocking to me. The, the 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 again the joy and the glee in the barbarism. It's the barbarism and then the and then the joyfulness they seem to be having. And all I could think of is behind our backs when we weren't paying attention, they have been just systematically in ways we we couldn't possibly imagine dehumanizing the Jewish people. And and just and then if you educate generations of people that the Jews are scum of the earth and that they need to be wiped out and they are subhuman, as our experience, this 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 is a system that worked, you know, in Nazi Germany in, in motivating an entire uh, people to turn on and, and to and to try to exterminate the Jewish people. If you if you indoctrinate and educate an entire generation, two generations of, of people that. The, the Jews are subhuman. This is what you see. It compl- it, it just completely um, it's a it's a dehumanization campaign. But Dan, my my question, though, for 50 years, I have read about World War Two and the Holocaust. I, I have been interested in the depravity of man in the Soviet Union as well. I've read dissident literature and I did not think it was possible to do it again. I always kind of thought it was. 
that these kids on college campuses are just idiot morons in their mouthing slogans of the left and they'll grow out of it. Obviously, it's bad. It's 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 as bad as it was with the Nazis. It's that bad. Yeah, I I know I uh, it's it's and again, you think we've we've um, we've you think we've come a long way. You know, you think we're we've we've progressed, we've educated, we've we've modernized, we've civilized. And uh, and then you watch this and and you just uh, you just you just can't believe it. And to your point, what 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 is so jarring you over here in the U.S. now is I'm watching what's happening on elite American college campuses. I'm watching what's happening at elite secular private schools, uh, prep schools in, 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 you know, coastal cities, the, the, the at best neutral, quote unquote, neutral, nuanced statements being put out by the administrations at these universities or in the, uh, the administrations and faculties of these schools at best, they're nuanced. It's complex. It's complicated. You know, these issues, there, there is no nuance. You watch what's going on right now in Israel. There is no nuance. It is not complicated. And and if I mean, the, the, there is blowback now uh, at, at these universities and these schools for precisely the reason Good. you're saying. Good. Now, let me ask you a very yeah. practical question, uh, too, actually. I was disappointed with the president. A lot of my conservative friends applauded him, but he did not name Iran and he did not name Hezbollah. And if you don't name the evil, the evil thinks you're afraid of them and it gets stronger. I don't know why the Ford has been sent to the Mediterranean if if we can't even name Hezbollah and Iran. So were you satisfied with it? And number two, do you think that Israel might just move against Hezbollah preemptively because they cannot throw everything into Gaza and leave themselves vulnerable on the northern border? Uh, so uh, I think that uh, I thought the president's speech was, look, Prime Minister Netanyahu asked the president on Saturday for a number of things. The most important thing he asked for was space and time. And I, there's cannot be a time for diplomacy. You can't let us go for a few days and then a few days in, meaning respond, and then a few days in say, OK, now is the time for diplomacy. Now is the time for a ceasefire. You need to back off, have our back and let us do whatever we need to do for as long as it takes. And I think on that front, President Biden delivered and the statement was important. I, too, was struck that he did not mention Iran. Uh, I'm actually trying to find out in the next couple of days why he didn't. It's one of the things I'm going to try to unpack on my podcast or we can unpack it here. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually going to try and figure it out. I, I was struck by it. It was perplexing to me and quite disappointing. Well, I'll offer you one theory and get a comment, and then I'll listen to it today and tomorrow. And everyone ought to go to call me back because it, it's serious, it's substantive, and it's thoughtful. My theory is that they are so heavily invested in the myth of a reasonable Iran and a transformation of the Middle East. And the Obama myth lives on. The Ben Rhodes, the Menonik of MSNBC yeah. lives on. And that's my theory, that they dare not blow up this myth what do you think yeah uh i don't know i mean it, it also may be that they have you know uh hope of of somehow de-escalating with iran which they've been trying to do for a few last few months and they don't want to let this this conflict get in the way of that and there's there's some i mean it's misguided it's it's unbelievably insanely misguided i mean iran was an architect of this attack there was a meeting we understand in beirut over a week ago uh, the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps was there. Hamas was there. Uh, Hezbollah was there. So, you know, there, there's I mean, if you hate this war, you you must hate and be oppositional to Iran. On the northern front, to your question, uh, I, look, Israel's preparing for a multi-front war. 
I, I think they would prefer not to fight a multi-front war simultaneously, but they're preparing for it. Uh, I think Iran, uh, Hezbollah will only act if Iran activates them. And Iran is bracing for Israel potentially attacking Iran in some way. And so they want to keep Hezbollah hovering over Israel. And they know the moment they activate them, that deterrent, if you will, against Israel could be gone. So I, I'm not so sure Hezbollah is, is itching to get get in this right away. Right, quick, and, quick and Iran exit, is not itching to activate. After 9-11, a shaken country took years to recover, but we had W. And we were blessed to have W. Do you think some combination of Bibi and Gantz will do the same thing for Israel as W did rally a country? I I think in the immediate term, yes. I think the long term, who knows? I, what I'm betting on right now, and maybe I can come back and talk about it, the, the, the stories of Israeli society. That is what is most inspiring right now. The country is rallying in ways that are so moving. It's one of the things we write about in our book, and I could even exceed what we write about. It's just, it's so powerful. The reserve, week, I know we got to go to the reserve. Come back next week out. and we'll do it. The genius of Israel, the surprising resilience of a divided nation. Pre-order it. Thank you, Dan Senor. Stay tuned. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. Welcome back, America. My old friend Mary Catherine Ham joins me now. She and Vic Mattis run the podcast, Getting Hammered. You can read and, and see her everywhere. Mary Catherine, good morning. Um, I really don't know how to begin. I asked Bethany Mandel yesterday, as a mom of young people, how are you reacting to these horrors? Uh, it's hard to even think about. Uh, it's hard to process. I know Bethany's on the phone with a lot of people on the ground in Israel. I assume that everyone I know at this point has someone who's either gone or in danger in Israel, which is hard. Uh, but to hear mothers, and I try to watch the videos, but to hear mothers talk about their children taken from them and they're four or five days in now and have no idea what the fate of those children is and they're in the hands of monsters is just horrifying. It's gut-wrenching. I don't know how you see stories of a mom escaping with a one-month-old and staying in a safe house or a safe room with neighbors, knowing that if the one-month-old cries as a one-month-old will, that they are all, their fates are sealed. How do you not think of the Holocaust? There, There are rare occasions where it's appropriate to say that you're reminded of the Holocaust. This is the one. Now, that's a scene from The Winds of War with Natalie Jastrow and her infant fleeing the Nazis. Uh, Mary Catherine, uh, I've been making the argument this morning. 9-11 was a shock, and we are used to shocking shooting massacres and bombing in London, Madrid, the Mumbai attacks. We've seen terror. We've never seen an army of terrorists. 
This is different because there are 1,500 dead terrorists in Israel. Those are the ones that got killed. Hundreds or thousands got away. And the death toll is 1,200. I mean, the depth of the evil in Gaza, I don't think I understood. Did you? Uh, No. And I think there was a lot of uh, sort of loss of vigilance because Hamas had been fairly quiet. For a while, and I've spoken about this before, and like it, it happens with Americans, it happens with anyone who is a free people. Your predisposition is to want to live a peaceful and happy life. That is the that is a gift of being free, right? But it also doesn't stop the fact that we are threatened by people who don't want that for us, right? So I think because things were quiet, uh, there was and there was so much going on in the West Bank uh, that this happened without people getting the right signals that it was happening or knowing that they were capable of this. And by the way, one of the things I think we should keep in mind uh, is that Hamas tells us maybe that not that they're capable of this, but they tell us outright that they want to do this. And that's one of the depressing things about watching people come to their, uh, to their defense or make apologies for them or even cheer for them is that they're clear about what they want. They want the extermination of the Jewish people and the Jewish state. Let's take them at their word. Um, and in this case, they were more sophisticated in executing that than we had imagined. Our dear friend Guy Benson and John Podhortz and a number of others liked the president's speech yesterday. I did not, because he did not name Iran or Hezbollah. And if you don't name the evil, you can't deter the evil. What did you make of his remarks, Mary Catherine? I appreciated that there was moral clarity there because there are plenty on his left flank who do not have that and would punish him for having it. So I appreciate that he says that support is full-throated, that we're going to stand behind Israel. The test of these things always is for how long? For how long? Because I don't think that Israel has a choice to bomb and then withdraw, right? To get some hostages and then withdraw to leave anything of the Hamas uh, regime intact there. And that will take time and it will not be pleasant, Uh, but they have brought this on themselves. So I think the the test is really a week from now, uh, what the message is behind the scenes, especially from diplomats who might be Uh, getting weak need about this. I had a ring tell me it will be 10 Fallujahs and that the West won't be ready for it. And by the way, the, the Israeli defense forces will suffer casualties unlike any that they have ever suffered before. Because 10 Fallujahs means... Go ahead. Yeah. I think this is a really important point. I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, When people say that this is somehow morally equivalent, Israel is actively putting their young men on the ground, and women in some cases, uh, and will lose many of them in order to go house to house, in order to prevent civilian casualties in Gaza. That is so far from what happened the other day. Uh, And they will lose people because of it. Instead of just leveling it, instead of going uh, full uh, uh, Tokyo firebombing, they're not doing that. We they're not a total war. They are fighting a civilized war, but it's still going to be brutal. And Mary Catherine, finally, uh, my alma mater has disgraced itself and many alma maters have disgraced has has yours. I don't know. Does does the SEC retain its sanity or are they crazy, too? So it has not loudly disgraced itself yet. So I need to go check because I've been so preoccupied with the Ivy Leagues being very vocal about disgracing themselves that I have not seen the state schools. I know University of Virginia 
uh, made a mess of itself yesterday. Uh, Georgia, I have not seen do so, and I'm glad. But I'm also glad to have a list of schools that my 529s will never be going anywhere near at this point. Uh, and I was also slightly heartened to see Harvard faculty speak up with an open letter that did have moral clarity and did say that this is terrorism. And this is like, not that that should be hard, but at colleges these days, it is hard for adults to stand up to their students. And I'm glad they did so. Some of the, some of the faculty did. And I appreciate your saying that, Mary Catherine. Thank you very much. Listen to her at Getting Hammered along with Vic Mattis uh, for updates. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by Chairman of the China Select Committee, Select Committee on Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party, Mike Gallagher, Congressman from Wisconsin. Good morning, Chairman. Uh, let's begin with your reaction. The death toll in Israel is up to 1,200 uh, victims murdered by bloodthirsty terrorists. I, I really, this glimpse into the depth of evil in Gaza is quite disturbing. I don't know how many monsters they've produced, but they've got a factory of them. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. Yeah, I think it is appropriate to frame this in terms of good versus evil, which will offend uh, the sophisticates in academia. But uh, Israel is the good guys and Hamas is, is pure evil. And it's imperative that we, America, the leader of the free world, back the good guys to the hilt. And I use that um, phrase consciously in so much as it evokes kind of a medieval image of a of a sword thrust all the way in uh, to the hilt, uh, because we are going to have to support Israel as it systematically dismantles Hamas. And we can do this by ensuring that Israel's Iron Dome doesn't run out of ammo, as we usually supply about half of the rounds for Iron Dome. We can also provide precision munitions, such as small diameter bombs. Think the kind of bombs that could take out a townhouse without hurting the house next door. And from there, we have to ensure that uh, the War Reserve Stock Allies program that is established for Israel stays fully stocked. Uh, you know, put differently, Hugh, if Biden can offer unconditional support for Ukraine, surely his support for Israel, uh, in many ways a closer ally, should be just as, if not more, enthusiastic. You know, Congressman, some people I like a great deal. Guy Benson is my friend and mentee. John Podhortz, I've known forever. They liked the president's speech yesterday. I did not because he did not name Iran or Hezbollah. And if you don't name the evil they think you're afraid of them. I mean, I just, I think Hamani must think Biden is afraid of him. Well, this administration, like the Obama administration before it, um, has based its entire Middle East policy on the idea of a nuclear deal with Iran. That's not just about the nuclear deal and its details, but really is about what 
former President Obama described as achieving a new equilibrium in the region. And the idea is that Iran could somehow balance against our traditional allies, Israel and the Sunni Arab Gulf states can become a more constructive regional actor. And in some ways, uh, we could have daylight between us and Israel, to use Obama's disastrous phrase. Well, this this event, this this terrorist war that was launched against Israel, which, in my opinion, could not have happened without Iran's support, uh, even if they didn't direct the operational or tactical specifics. The fact is Hamas has benefited for years from Iranian money and Iranian weapons and Iranian training. This deal should put a stake in the heart of Biden's detente with Iran. Uh, And as hard as it is, the president needs to let go of the defibrillator and stop trying to resuscitate the lifeless corpse of Obama's nuclear deal with Iran. We need to return to a policy of maximum pressure on Iran, which is, of course, the only thing that unites. The reason we were seeing this historic rapprochement between Israel and Saudi Arabia is because of the shared threat posed by Iran. And I think part of the reason we've seen this action taken by Hamas is because Iran wants to disrupt that rapprochement because it would be a threat to them. Um, Probably our most practical and useful next step in this regard, if we want to get serious, is we can we can start by freezing the six billion dollar hostage payment to Iran that Biden did in return for five American hostages. And to illustrate the absurdity, we now have at least 12 Americans taken hostage. So we've net lost seven Americans, which proves the eternal wisdom of not bribing terrorists. Uh, we can also freeze the $10 billion, uh, based in Iraq that we allowed the Iraqis to pay for Iran, as well as fully enforce all sanctions. To me, that would be a practical, useful next step. And so I intend to call on the administration to freeze this money so that we don't provide more uh, weapons and materiel for evil terrorists like Hamas to kill Jews. Now, Congressman, I want to turn to the House conference. We're on the brink of war. We've got a carrier group, the Ford in the Mediterranean, a second carrier group headed to the Persian Gulf. Even though the president won't say it, we're on the brink of war. We don't have a functioning Congress because of eight members of the House GOP conference. Will we get there today? Because we, it's like on December 6th, 1941, not having a House of Representatives, only knowing that the attack was coming. Will we get there today to a speaker? I'm cautiously optimistic. We are going to meet this morning to have the internal, you know, secret ballot vote for speaker. And traditionally, the person who gets the majority, even if you didn't vote for that person, then everyone, all Republicans are supposed to unite and support that speaker candidate on the floor. That's what I intend to do, uh, regardless of who I vote for, regardless who emerges victorious. And I sensed last night in our caucus meeting, and maybe this will prove to be sort of foolishly optimistic, that even those eight were reluctant to cause chaos on the floor again or do a version of what happened to Speaker McCarthy in January. In fact, you had some members of the eight saying explicitly that they would back whichever of the two candidates comes out of our internal vote. So that gives me some optimism. What we need to do is have the internal vote, go immediately to the floor, get a new speaker via a floor vote, and then take up a res- not only a resolution in support of Israel, which hopefully will be bipartisan, but an actual bill to ensure that our, our lethal support to Israel stays fully stocked and doesn't diminish in the recent days. Then we should turn to the business of rearming ourselves. If you said, we're not on the brink of war, We've seen, we, we now have two regional wars, and we risk inviting a war in the Pacific in which we would be directly engaged if we continue on this delusionary path 
of disarmament, this utopian path of, of, of mi- underestimating the authoritarians, the genocidal godless authoritarians that we're dealing with in these countries. We increasingly have an axis of authoritarians arrayed against our interests. China is, of course, the dominant actor, but Putin is his junior partner. And the mullahs in Iran are part of this axis. And the goal is very simple. It's to destroy American leadership. It's to sever our traditional alliances and induce chaos on the world stage because the Iranians benefit from chaos, as does Russia, as does Xi Jinping. And so we need to wake up and it's time for the West to rearm ourselves. Now, Chairman Gallagher, uh, the show is friends with both uh, Majority Leader Scalise and Chairman Jordan. I've had both men on. I've, I've known Jim for a long time. He's a Buckeye. Either one of them is fine by me. If there is a deadlock, what's going to happen? Um, I guess we'd have another debate and, and subsequent rounds uh, of voting. I think it's highly unlikely there would just be a pure deadlock. I think the whole thing will hinge, Hugh, on whether if the vote is narrow, if someone wins with a few votes here or there, is the other candidate willing to throw their support behind the other to ensure that their supporters don't try and drag this thing out? over the course of multiple weeks. Um, I, I don't think either either Jim Jordan or Scalise is the type to do that. Uh, I do think they will work to unite the conference, regardless of whether they win or lose. Um, but that certainly is a possibility, Hugh. Uh, and again, as you said at the outset, we can't do anything until we have a new speaker. We're having this debate about you know whether Patrick McHenry is the speaker pro tem, has the power to do X, Y, and Z, but really... That's not what that position was intended to do. It's a caretaker position designed to facilitate the election of a new speaker. And then the new speaker needs to get the House working uh, again. We have so many things critical to national security beyond just the money that we need to rearm ourselves, to rebuild our munitions industrial base. Uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, is, is up for renewal by the end of the year. We need to find a way to renew FISA while also reforming the process to give confidence that it won't be abused in the process. That's absolutely critical in terms of our national security. That's just one of many things we need to do, which we can't do because we don't have a speaker right now. Have you endorsed either candidate, Chairman Gallagher? I don't, I haven't followed this. I have not. Um, I asked, I asked some questions last night. Um, I I have a few lingering questions. Really my concerns are, 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 are threefold, let's say. Uh, most obviously, uh, as you know, Hugh, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we, we have a war in Europe, we have a war in the Middle East, but a, a, a war in the Pacific, if deterrence collapses, would make those two regional wars and, and potentially previous world wars look restrained in comparison. And so my mission is to uh, prevent World War III uh, without surrendering. Um, and I want to know what the candidates intend to do on the issue of China. We have critical China legislation right now that we need to pass that is stalled because of internal intra-committee jurisdictional fights. Um, we've done nothing to ban or force the sale of TikTok. We've done nothing to constrain outbound capital flows, American investments going to Chinese militaries. We've done nothing to prevent uh, Chinese entities from buying land near military bases. Those are just the three low-hanging fruit to say nothing of some of the harder things we need to do. That's my primary concern. Uh, I also want to ensure that if we go down the path of a long-term CR, that we don't actually trigger the across-the-board uh, defense sequester, which could cut up to $50 billion for defense. This would be literal insanity because, of course, we experimented with this a decade ago, and it was disastrous for, for defense. And then I think that's bound up in a third thing, which is the overall dysfunction of our budget and appropriations process. We've had numerous 
super committees, outside commissions, analyze this dating back to the Dreyer Commission in 1993. More recently, Congressman Womack led an effort in 2018. We, we, we continually recognize we have an unsustainable problem in terms of our broken appropriation process. We have multiple proposals for how to fix it. What we lack is the will and the leadership to do it. And ultimately, it's going to take a speaker, a speaker to do it. And the final point on this, you and I'm sorry to go on, is that in my opinion, and I voiced this to the conference two nights ago, now is precisely the time to do it because we have a narrow majority and divided government. We aren't going to be able to advance an ambitious policy agenda. So there's never a better time to turn to the plumbing of Congress, the process fixes that are policy agnostic. That may be more boring. It may be less sexy than some of the big policy wins. But that's precisely what led to what we saw last week, which is the deposal of the speaker for the first time in history, because the process is so dysfunctional. Members feel no loyalty to the institution and they seek power outside of the institution, outside of their committee work. They channel their energy and ambition into media appearances because we've turned Congress into nothing more than a green room for Fox News or MSNBC. Please remind your colleagues that that 1,200 Israelis are dead and we are at war and they cannot be children. Uh, they just cannot be children. They cannot be posing. I, I, I know you won't have any luck with Matt Gates, but the other seven, good luck with them. Uh, Chairman Mike Gallagher, uh, I appreciate it. Good luck today. We need a speaker. We got to get one today and we got to get serious in a hurry. Chairman Gallagher, one of the serious people. Thank you. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart, took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. We discover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church, streaming at SalemNow.com. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election story, Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from free thinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, high candidates. Hugh Hewitt on this Wednesday. I'm bound for New York tonight, and therefore, Generalissima will sit in for me tomorrow. I will be back on Thursday. I also want to direct you to the top of HughHewitt.com, where we are raising money for the victims of the terror in Israel at the 
Israel at War banner that is for the Fellowship, International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Please be generous. I'm joined by Congressman Juan Siscomani of Tucson, Arizona. Good morning, Congressman. Thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it must have been. I hope it was a sober meeting of Republicans last night. We're on the brink of war. We're sending a second carrier group. The president did not mention Iran or Hezbollah yesterday, but we very well could be in a shooting war there. Was it uh, a sober conference last night? Well, it, it was. But first, let me <coughs> let me say I haven't a lot happens the last time that I was on with you, Hugh. And of course, in the last week, even more so and in the last few days over the weekend with what happened in Israel. I know you've been covering that extensively and I, I've made strong statements on my feelings on this, of course, standing with Israel, standing with the people of Israel and with our friends and constituents that are here in, in the United States as well. Uh, we have to, uh, uh, of course, in Congress, act accordingly on that. We support Israel, support their right to defend itself. And what the images that we've been seeing over the weekend are just horrific. As a father, Myself, I, I can't imagine uh, the, the feeling and, and, and the, the sense of what's happening. I, I've talked to constituents uh, of mine that have family there, and every one that I've talked to, the conversation starts in the somber tone, of course, but then it turns into tears, into anger, into disbelief in a lot of ways. And, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tragic situation that I feel uh, for them, and I stand with them. And I thank you for covering it uh, like you have been so far. This is... I couldn't have imagined a, a worse time to be in the situation that Congress is in while our closest ally in the uh, Middle East is going through their worst time as well in recent history. The, yeah, the, the, these the are death toll times. went up to, to 1,200 today, Congressman. I, I can't conceive of the depth of evil in Gaza that would unleash an army of monsters to just wa- wantonly murder 1,200 people. And I, I know you've seen the stories of the babies being decapitated and the mothers being, and you're right, you're the father of six, entire families wiped out. And so it's beyond our capacity to understand uh, it's a 9-11-like event. So did the conference act accordingly? I mean, this is serious time. They've got to get serious. These are serious times, and the conference has been going through the process. The two candidates have been seeking the endorsement and support of all members. The, the process is ongoing. We have, of course, the vote this morning. Again, we'll start with an 8.30 a.m. security briefing on Israel, and then we're going to move on to selecting a speaker within the conference at 10 a.m., and then we'll see how many rounds it takes for for someone to be the, the clear winner, there are a lot of efforts to make sure that we don't go to the floor without being ready, which, of course, I, I, I want to do. I don't know if setting so many rules around it is the right move either. Uh, there, there's there's still so many camps, so much anger. There's so much, um, uh, you know, dissatisfaction with the, what happened just a few days ago last week with uh, with Speaker McCarthy that uh, not 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 every member is on board with the with the current direction. So there's still division. Uh, Speaker McCarthy told me on this show on Monday that if the conference deadlocks and it asks him to come back, he would be willing to do so. Is that a possibility in your view, Juan Siskamani? Well, what I heard him say yesterday during the conference is that he asked to not be nominated and and his wish was was respected. And uh, he wasn't yesterday on the on the conference floor. Now, again, we have to get one of these two gentlemen to 217. And I'm not sure if that happens in the first ballot or the second ballot within the conference. 
There's clearly people that are squarely in one camp or the other, and there are people that are in neither camp, and then there are people that are undecided. So it's it's still a lot to be determined. Hopefully, people slept on it and they have a decision made by this morning. But th- that's that, that's what we're going to face today. Now, both men are friends of the program. Either of them can do the job. So could McHenry. So could McCarthy. What my urgent message is, we can't be without a speaker in a house that is functioning. Is Have the eight who exactly caused right. this. Go ahead, Congressman. No, no, I, I agree with you. I but What I've been saying is, now, listen, we have to select a speaker this week. That's my priority. When I went home and I was asked about this uh, more than exactly who uh, we were supporting, my my constituents wanted to make sure that we go into order. That's why there was so much, uh, again, anger and dissatisfaction around the way that it, what happened last week, whether people agreed fully with Speaker McCarthy or not. They knew they know for leave for sure that this wasn't the right move, that this wasn't uh, the, the, the right uh, step to take. In, in the times that we were last week, middle of last week, even less over the weekend, that was proven even more to you of how this is not the time to do this. So we have to select a speaker. We need leadership back because leadership is not being provided by the White House, is not being provided by the Senate. And the House needs to lead on this. If you saw Kevin McCarthy over the weekend, that's what leadership looks like. Those statements, that plan, that action item, those action items, that's what we had as a week ago. And now we don't have and we are seeking it. Now, it would require four of the eight members who toppled McCarthy with every Democrat to change their minds. Have any of them indicated they are willing to do so? You know what? I, I cannot ever guess what they're going to do. Uh, I, I've i been um, completely, um, you know, uh, just straight up uh, disappointed in their actions all throughout this these 10 months as a freshman, uh, you come in and you you hope the best out of everyone. And you assume that we're all on the same team and you assume that we're all moving in the same direction, rowing in the, in the same pace. And then, of course, you get sidetracked by these kind of actions that are uh, short sighted at best, uh, tragic at worst. And and so we'll see what they do. They, they haven't indicated any kind of uh, stopping effort again. Now, you never know until the until the zero hour, because. They, we've, they've been given everything before that they've wanted and, and still not acted accordingly. So we'll see what they do today. It's, it's irrational, but, but we have to get to a speaker. Will you stay there, keep voting until somebody gets to 217? I said we have to. We absolutely have to. We can't, we can't leave this place until we have a Speaker of the House elected. It's our duty to do so. We can dwell on how things happen and why it was wrong and, and, and why uh, Speaker McCarthy should be in, in his position right now. But uh, listen, I, I am still very cognizant of what happened, and that's going to stay with us forever. There's no way you ever get over that completely. However, we are here right now. We were elected to lead, and we have to select a Speaker. This is the time to select a Speaker, put leadership back in that chair, and make sure that we move on and we start supporting Israel at the level that it needs it right now and the rest of the world as well. You'd see now what happens when when uh, the world senses a weak America. This is what's happening. So much worse can happen if we don't act quickly. Well, there are 1,200 dead people in Israel who were murdered at point-blank range by terrorists. We have one carrier group and the second on the way, a very infirm president, and we can't... I, I just... Tell me that somebody stood up and didn't speak to either Scalise or Jordan, but just said, 
I remind everyone in the room, there are 1,200 murdered Israelis and two carrier groups on the way, and we don't have a speaker. Did anyone say that last night? There was definitely a sentiment on that. There was broad support among the conference for Israel and, and knowing exactly where we are. I think that that has injected a tremendous sense of urgency into selecting a speaker. I have no doubt of that. Whether people were on one camp or the other last night or whether they were pro or against Kevin McCarthy, I think we do share this sense of urgency on, on Israel. At, at least that's from my perspective, from where I'm sitting and definitely what I'm bringing to the table. No question about that. And, and we're, we have to act swiftly this week and, and select a speaker. And then at the same time as we have this tragic uh, historic um, precedent and situation in Israel, our, our border continues to be wide open in the southern part of the country as well. Th- this is, th- we are seeing this everywhere, how a weak White House just opens the door for all these things to take place. Weak approach against Iran uh, in, the, in the past few months, weak approach on the border, in our own border. These are the consequences of that. A weak, a weak approach from the White House and no approach in the House because it's dysfunctional. And Chuck Schumer in China. Good luck, Congressman Siskamani. Just remind everyone, we're on the brink of war. They've got to get a speaker. And if they can't agree on Scalise or Jordan, then they ought to just put Kevin McCarthy back. Uh, Juan Siskamani, thank you for joining me. I look forward to talking to you next week. Freshman congressman from Tucson, Arizona. Follow him on Twitter at Juan Siskamani. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.